You're listening to the Beginning of Wisdom podcast with Andrew Schumacher. Beginning of Wisdom seeks to engage in theology and apologetics in the sight of God. You can learn more at beginningwisdom.org. Welcome to the beginning of Wisdom Live. I'm Andrew Schumacher and uh, excited to be here with you tonight. Didn't think there was going to be a show, but well, things change sometimes. Uh, plans change. And, uh, you know, I just got to say, if, if you aren't listening to that intro music and some really like some good headphones or speakers, you know, you're missing out. There's some there's some good bass in there. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm excited tonight to talk to you. Uh, regardless, we're we're doing the show anyway, and what what's exciting about it is it's going to be a little different than my normal show. Uh, well, what's been normal? Just uh, been working on a lot of stuff with Hebrew Roots Movement and all of that. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about Mormonism and specifically about the Book of Mormon, and I think we're going to be really going over some stuff that even if you have talked about Mormonism before, you've studied Mormonism before, you studied the apologetic stuff related to the Book of Mormon, you probably won't have heard anything, you know, maybe a little bit if you got real deep into it. But I find most of what's out there on this topic is, while it's interesting and useful, it isn't really... um, what I would say coming from a real biblical framework. And so what we're going to talk about is the question of, you know, whether the Book of Mormon is scripture or whether we should consider it scripture. And there is a, um, this was the topic of the debate that was canceled, but uh, the reason I want to go over it is because honestly, it, it gives us a lot of tools to look at a lot of claims uh, out there about, what should be considered scripture, what, you know, how do we know the Bible is what it says it is, that kind of stuff. Um, How do we know if someone comes along and claims to be a prophet, you know, what, how do we test that? How do we figure that out? And that goes for figuring out scripture as well. So that's kind of what we're going to go on uh, and talk about. And I also want to say just as I always do, um, but I don't always say at the beginning, um, if you, uh, you know, obviously like share the video, um, get it out there and also, um, subscribe if you haven't, I know about half of the viewers of this show, uh, don't, aren't subscribed. And so, uh, you never know when YouTube al- algorithm is going to change and you might not see these things anymore. Um, even though they're still happening, but also I want to let you know, as as always, the plan is to do a, a Q&A at the end uh, of the show and talk about, um, well, whatever you guys want to talk about, any questions you have, uh, whether it's related to this or, or other topics. So um, let's go ahead and kind of jump in. So uh, the way I want to approach this question, this question of the Book of Mormon is actually not to start with the Book of Mormon. Um, so if you don't know anything about that, let me kind of bring you up to speed on that. 
Um, so the Book of Mormon was the first uh, book produced and claimed to be scripture uh, by Joseph Smith, who started the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, the Mormons. Or you know, they they often have different. They keep changing what they want to be called. But um, that church uh, began with Joseph Smith, and and he claimed to be a prophet, and he claimed he had received golden plates from an angel and was given power to translate them. And from that, we have the Book of Mormon. Other claims came later, and, and we may get into that a little bit. But for now, you know, I want to kind of focus on this. So how do you know if somebody comes along and says, look, I have a new book of scripture. Um, it's, you know, it's something else Jesus did and, and, and all that. Let's, let's, uh, you know, go with the scripture, you know, what, what would you do? So, um, the, the fact is that if you believe in scripture, if you believe God has spoken at all, you really can't be ambivalent. You can't just say, nah, you know, you have to actually, um, wrestle with this and, and understand, you know, why you either do or don't reject some later claim, um, to be scripture. So, Let's see, and I'm just checking something. Okay. Making sure everything's good with the show. Everything, everyone can hear me okay. I see uh, Misty there and Blue Bunny. Nice to see you guys. Um, and uh, just making sure you guys can hear me and everything looks good. I don't see any anything weird going on. All right, so... How do we how do we tackle this question? Um, how do we tackle this question of of the Book of Mormon? Well, um, I think you know God tells us a little bit about how we we understand you know because He has spoken um, in in Hebrews one one and two He says that although God spoke long ago in many parts and in many ways to the fathers by the prophets, in these last days he has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. So in Deuteronomy, and, and so you've got, God speaks, God has spoken, he spoke through prophets, he spoke through his son. Um, in Deuteronomy, God gives us two tests for a prophet. And the fact that he has done that, and, and I want you to think about this, the fact that God has given two tests for a prophet is evidence that he expects anyone who claims to be a prophet to prove it, to, to basically be submitted to these tests. And um, I'm going to go over those a little bit later, but, you know, the point of that is, is that if someone claims they have scripture or if someone claims every, you know, that, that they have a revelation from God, it is not up to us to disprove that. We don't, we don't have to believe it. Um, they have to show it. And um, so that's, that's important to think about. And the fact is, I mean, it's going to come down to testing it against scripture, what we already know to be scripture. But that's where the, the main question comes in is how do you know that what you have is scripture, that, that scripture is scripture. So, um, 
Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17, he says, All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, in order that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So scripture is what makes us competent for the good work of, of serving God and, and everything that we might need to do to serve God and obey God. Um, and it's interesting that it says it makes us competent and fully equipped for that. So it's if someone comes along and says there's a new revelation and it's it's these new things, the question is, well, I thought I was already fully equipped. Now this is coming near the end of the end of the New Testament. Second Timothy is one of the later books to be written in the New Testament. Um, and it's referring to all of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. Um, in fact, we know that, uh, and this is just an interesting side note, a lot of people will point out when, when Paul says this, that he's talking about the Old Testament, and he is, but he's not only talking about the Old Testament. Um, this is 2 Timothy. In 1 Timothy, he cites Luke as Scripture. Um, so he's already doing the citing of New Testament by the time he writes 2 Timothy. So he's definitely referring to all of Scripture. But what do we know about Scripture? Well, let's go ahead and I'm going to bring up a couple things here. Um, and we are, and I'm just going to kind of go over a few texts that that really just kind of give us the background on it. So um, scripture is something that it has authority. Um, so Numbers 23, 19, it says, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of humankind that he should change his mind. He has, he said, and will he not do it? And has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? So it's, it's completely trustworthy. It's always true. Um, and then in the New Testament, uh, you might look at any number of places, but James 1, 17 says, oh, a little too far. <laughs> it says, um, every good and every perfect gift count is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of change. So God himself, he doesn't change. And so the word he gives us never changes. It, it never changed. Um, it, it is the same word and, and always the same word. Um, once it's there, it's, it's there and it endures forever. Um, Isaiah 40 verse eight, um, It says, grass withers and the flower, the grass withers, the flower withers, but the word of our God will stand forever. Um, and then Jesus says about his own words, the same kind of thing, because he's God. So naturally, his words will do the same. All right. All right, I apologize, I'm having a... Okay, so Matthew 24, verse 35, it, Jesus says, you know, heaven and earth will pass away, 
but my words will never pass away. So once they're given, once they're written down, scripture never passes away, never passes out of existence. Um, so you've got, it's always true. It's always trustworthy. It doesn't change. It doesn't pass away. It's always true. So how, so that's, that's part of the nature of scripture itself. Um, so that's one thing we can know. So if you, if you have someone claiming revelation, but it keeps changing, well, that's not how God's word is. So that's not going to be something that, that we can, we can trust as scripture. So how did God authenticate it? So how is it, you know, obviously we know how to test and, and we'll get into that a little bit, but we know that uh, God tests, you know, gives us ways to test prophets. We know he, how his word is, but how do we know that those prophets are really prophets? So it be, really, it begins with Moses. Um, obviously there are people God spoke to before Moses, but at the time of Moses, at the time of the Exodus, Moses comes and he does amazing miracles, um, such miracles as to basically define the identity of the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament. I mean, this the Exodus event, the Exodus generation, everything that happened there was so over the top, so overwhelming that there was no denying the the um, the authenticity of Moses. What's what's interesting is some people did, but we see what happens. So, you know, he does first the plagues uh, against Egypt. Um, that uh, you know, at first the Egyptians kind of duplicate things, but but then it it just completely overwhelms them, and then they go out of the the land of Egypt and they're being you know, led by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, they get to the Red Sea and the, you know, the sea parts and then it goes down and swallow, you know, it comes back in and swallows the Egyptians. I mean, there's no question. And then once they get to Sinai, the entire, it says the entire mountain is just smoke and fire. So there's this, this unquestionable fact of, of God's presence in, in everything that's going on. But then this continued, um, even when, uh, when you have, um, the Korah's rebellion and people who, who decide to try to defy Moses and God just, just judges them right on the spot, you know, has the earth swallow them up and things like that. So there's no question, there, there's no way that this can be just someone who claims to have seen a vision. Um, it's not about that. It's not about whether, you know, uh, it's not about what someone can claim. It's about this just undeniable fact of what God is doing. So God establishes Moses in the most spectacular way. And then he continues to speak through Moses and, and Moses asks God things and God tells him everyone can see that that's what's going on. And so this absolutely confirms Moses as a prophet. And from him, we get the first five books of the Bible in which we find this test for future prophets in Deuteronomy. Um, so we have all of that going on. But then that continues. You know, it continues into, you know, 
later prophets. You know, Joshua, when he brings the the Israelites into Israel, the Jordan stops and they cross on dry land, just like they did at the Red Sea. Um, Elijah calls down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel. Um, Elisha brings a dead girl back to life. Um, I mean, there's just all these things that happen. They're always, you know, witnesses and um, often very, very many. And it seems like how it's it's the more spectacular it is is because of the more you know unbelief is around to, that needs to be judged and needs to be exposed. So so that's that's going on all through the Old Testament. So all these prophets come and there's no question, no question, no question, no question that these are real prophets. Um, so then in the New Testament, and this is really interesting. So you have um, right at the near the end, there, there are several books written toward the end of the, the Old Testament that that, you know, I, I'm not sure which one is actually written last, but. Um, it's generally thought, you know, Malachi is the last book in the Bible, but it's and it's the last of the prophets um, to get a book, you know, put in there as, as far as we know. But near the end, you have Daniel and Daniel gives his 70 weeks prophecy, which tells the people pretty much exactly when the the Messiah will come. And and then after this sort of stuff around then and and. Malachi and Nehemiah, this, these, these people, there's this, you know, hundreds of years of silence, hundreds of years of no prophets. And it's really, and, and, and again, it's kind of curious if, if this was just sort of people could kind of say, yeah, I'm a prophet, you know, and then you wouldn't expect that to happen. Now, that's not to say that this was a silent period for Jewish writing because it was not. Um, if you look up Second Temple Jewish literature, it's there's tons of it. Um, there's tons of stuff that was written during this time, but none of it, you know, claims to have been written by a prophet. None of it uh, was, you know, is is seen as scripture. None of it coming out of it, you know. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah comes from Isaiah. You know, Isaiah spoke and he may have written things, and and then he he dies and and scribes, you know, put together his his writings and they, they, they have a book and, you know, this happens for, for other prophets. This doesn't happen again after Malachi, after, you know, the last prophet speaks, there's no more prophecy. And, and this happens because God doesn't make it happen. And they recognize, they know how to tell what prophecy is. So they, uh, they get done or they, they have this period of silence and then Jesus comes and Jesus, well, really John the Baptist comes um, and he, he's preaching in the, in the wilderness. But, but really, you begin to see the, the miracles with, you know, great miracles with Jesus. Um, so Jesus turns water into wine. He, you know, which a bunch of people at a, at a party are able to see. People rose from the dead, blind regained sight, demons cast out, 5,000 are fed. I mean... So many things that that were for lots of people. Some things just for the the disciples. Um, some things, you know, like walking on the water and and things like that. Um, so the uh, there's no. So we have the 
the Jewish writings that are that are in the temple and, and considered to be scripture by the Jews, they 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 understand the silence, and then then we have the miracles and 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 people coming along, and and seeing, okay, here here's new scripture, uh, being written because of the coming of Jesus and the coming of the apostles, and the apostles do these miracles as well. Um, they you know they do all kinds of things seen by lots and lots of people. Um, and so there's no sort of private revelation going on. And um, so then, so this brings me back to these tests. So how do they know if, some, if someone's a prophet? Well, the Deuteronomy provides a couple of tests. In Deuteronomy 13, it gives this test. It says, if a prophet stands up in your midst or a dreamer of dreams and he gives you a sign or wonder and the sign or wonder comes about as he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods, those whom you have not known and let us serve them. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or to that dreamer for Yahweh your God is testing you to know whether you love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all of your inner self. So there's no question that if, if they teach you to go after other gods, even if they do a miracle, even if they seem to do a miracle, the sign or wonder does come about, but they tell you to go after other gods, well, then that is not a prophet you're supposed to follow. Uh, Deuteronomy 18 then adds uh, this part, which is pretty simple and makes sense. Uh, it says, whenever, whenever that prophet spoke in the name of Yahweh, the thing does not take place or does not come about. That is the thing Yahweh has not spoken to him. Presumptuously, this prophet spoke as you shall not fear that prophet. It's a false prophet. If they say, oh, this is going to take place and it doesn't, well, then you know that God didn't speak to that prophet. They are not, they're not someone you need to, to worry about or listen to. So, um, so you can see that the Old Testament prophets are authenticated by public miracles and um, what they say is in line with everything that's come before. Remember, it gets built on that foundation in the Torah and then and then built on from there. Um, and then, you know, in the New Testament, it's the same criteria. Uh, and it's also authenticated by the fact that Jesus fulfilled, you know, hundreds of prophe prophecies given to Israel, if, if not more. And it was expected he would come, expected at that time, all of that. So there's a very powerful self-authenticating nature to Scripture. So now, having that as our, our understanding, um, we look at the claims of the Book of Mormon, the claims of Joseph Smith. Um, does it meet these criteria? <laughs> the fact is, it, it doesn't meet any of them. Um you know, as far as just to talk about signs and, and miracles and things like that, there's really no, there's really nothing that can be verified. I mean, he made a lot of claims. Um, he, the only thing that we have quote unquote witnesses for are the plates that the Book of Mormon supposedly came from. But what the witnesses say is that, you know, they, they hefted something and they saw the plates, things like that. And, and, and I'm not going to dispute what they said or what they saw at this point. Um, there's, you could go in a lot of detail on that, but 
But even assuming that everything the witnesses said was true, they couldn't read them. They saw some sort of markings, but they couldn't recognize them or, or know what was there. And because of that, there's no way that they could know that it had anything to do with the Book of Mormon, that, that these plates, you know, somehow contained it. It, it would have been, it would have been some miracle if, if they all had been given the same ability and they all could read the same text or something like that. But, uh, that didn't happen. So it's really all up to, um, the, the question of, uh, you know, the question of, do we trust Joseph Smith? Do we trust what he said is, is really what it comes down to. And, and that's because that's all we have to go on. It's all anyone ever had to go on when it comes to the contents of the Book of Mormon. Um, the plates really have very little to do with it in, in the long run. So, so we don't have any miracles to really authenticate it. But what about the text itself? Does it show the same tenacity of Scripture? Um, well, in, in one respect, it does. There's a, there's a lot of it that is pretty much quoted word from word from the King James Bible. Um, and of course, if you are a Mormon, you think that, well, that's because it was, you know, re re inspired and, and in that and, and is in the book of Mormon, but again, can't, can't be verified, but you know, so there's parts of it that, that I, that are inspired, but they just have the wrong, uh, you know, book number at the top. But aside from that, aside from the obvious, um, stuff that's ex identical to, to what's in the Bible. Um, does it have the same tenacity? So remember we said it, it has to, it, it doesn't change. We don't lose any of it. You know, scripture, we don't, you know, it's, it's, it's solid. It, it remains true. Um, so I have some things to show you guys for this, uh, so that you can kind of get a visual. So, there have been changes and not just grammatical ones. I mean, that's, that's the argument. And there's been thousands and thousands of changes. Um, and they say, well, the vast, you know, they're pretty much all um, just grammatical in nature and, and typographical errors and things like that. But no, that's not the case. Um, and I don't have as many as I could uh, have, have put up here, but I'm going to show you a few, a couple that are not, definitely not just typographical. So let's start here. First Nephi 11.21. So what you see there at the top is the 1830 edition, the first published edition of the Book of Mormon. Uh, that's a, you know, a capture of the, the page, actually, what it actually looked like. And then the modern edition, how it reads today. And I happen to know in this case, it was this change was made by the 1837 edition. So just about seven years later. But you notice what it says there in, in the middle. It says, And the angel said unto me, Behold the Lamb of God, yea, even the Eternal Father. So the angel is talking about Jesus, and he calls him the Eternal Father. And then you have in the modern edition since 1837, the angel said unto me, Behold the Lamb of God, yea, even the Son of the, internal, the Eternal Father. So they inserted, they added the words the Son of uh, to describe the Lamb instead of just calling him the Father. Uh, this happened, this is in there about four or five times. Uh, here's another example. Um, it says, uh, you know, 
he shall make known the plain and precious things which have been taken away from them and shall make known to all kindreds, tongues, and people that the Lamb of God is the eternal Father and Savior of the world. Very clear in the 1830 edition has been changed to that the Lamb of God is the Son of the eternal Father and the Savior of the world. So again, it, it changes who Jesus is. You know, is he the Father? Is he identical with the Father? Or is he not? And the Book of Mormon does not uh, stay consistent on that so it has changed and this is a change in time this happened you know at a certain point in history seven years after the book of mormon was published this change was made to the these particular texts um now like i said there are there are other texts but i point these ones specifically out because they seem to reflect a very interesting way of uh thinking about you know, the Trinity and, and things like that. It, I mean, it's not the way the Bible ever talks. The Bible never calls the Son the Father. Um, it, it doesn't do that. It doesn't say the Lamb of God is the, fa is the Father. So the, the situation is, you know, there, there seems to be a, an, an interesting sort of theology that, that's not, it, it doesn't match up with current LDS theology, and it doesn't match up with, really the the biblical trinitarian the way that the bible presents the trinity so um i point these out because there's there's also these other sort of theological um things going on so the book of mormon also it really does present a modalistic view of god um so this is a, an example in ether 314 says behold I am he who is prepared from the foundation of the world to redeem my people. Behold, I am Jesus Christ. I am the Father and the Son. So that's that's very interesting. And then uh, and that, of course, uh, uh, if you look, uh, there's a one of the most more famous passages on this issue is Mosiah 15, 1 through 4, um, where it says, and now. Abinadi said unto them, I would that you should understand that God himself shall come down among the children of men and shall redeem his people. And because he dwelleth in flesh, he shall be called the son of God. And having subjected the flesh to the will of the father, being the father and the son, just as Ether said, the father, because he was conceived by the power of God and the son because of the flesh, thus becoming the father and the son. And they are one God, yea, the very eternal father of heaven and earth so this is is very unambiguous <laughs> it's uh it's you know really presenting this idea that that jesus is both the father and the son now this contradicts the trinitarian way that the scripture speaks of you know it speaks of both father and son as god but does not confuse them it never it never confuses father and son so this this doesn't match scripture and so it is presenting to us a different god um as as deuteronomy 13 warns against and also very interesting if if you're you know lds this presents a very different god than joseph smith came to believe later on which is a, a good you know if, if you look at the timelines of when things happen you can see that his theology changed and therefore it's you see a, the same change reflected in the Book of Mormon in those uh, 
those previous passages. Um, this one was not changed. I'm not exactly sure why, but um, it, it continues to say this. So um, it, it's very interesting uh, that it presents this sort of this sort of unique God. Now, also, when we look at the question of, again, matching it up to scripture we already have, we see that it presents, you know, salvation in a different way as well. So um, when it comes to faith and works, uh, we see 2 Nephi 25, 23. And this is, I believe this is translated into well, I'm not sure if it's if it's in there. It's been a while since I've looked at their articles of faith. But it says, For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren, to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. And contrast that with Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says, For by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And... So, so these are, are diametrically opposed. And it's not just as simple as saying, oh, well, of course, if you're saved, you're going to do everything you can do. Um, there's another passage in Mosiah that, that talks about that kind of stuff. And, and you could, you could kind of twist things around a little bit and get it to say something along the lines of, you know, sal salvation by grace through faith results in good works, which the Bible does say. But uh, this one in 2 Nephi is, is not, uh, you can't really do that. Because notice that the grace that saves comes after all we can do. It's, it's post the, the effort part of things. Um, and also, incidentally, if, if you're LDS, you should, you should know, um, if you have been taught on this, you know, that there's a difference between, in, in LDS theology between salvation and eternal life. Salvation just means resurrection, you know, at the last day, but what's, what happens to you after that is, is not necessarily, you know, it could be good or bad. Um, and that that comes without works, but then, you know, eternal life is equated with exaltation and, and Godhood and all of that. That's what comes, you know, after the effort, but notice second Nephi, uh, it, it contradicts you there, um, because it says it is by grace. We are saved after all we can do. Saved is just a, another form of the word salvation. It is, we have salvation after all we can do. Um, so it is tying salvation to this effort, not just eternal life. And of course that would also contradict scripture because John three sixteen says, you know, that if you believe you have eternal life. So it, it uh, really, biblically speaking, contradicts either way. But I'm just pointing out here too that the Book of Mormon does not, it doesn't match either one. It doesn't, it's not biblical, but it's also not in line with current uh, LDS theology. And then of course, uh, we do also have false prophecy in the Book of Mormon. Um, so for example, in Helaman uh, 1427 says, And he said unto me that while the thunder and the lightning lasted, and the tempest, and these things should be, and that darkness should cover the face of the whole earth for a space of three days. And this is referring to the crucifixion, to, to darkness at that time. And 
it says it would cover the whole earth. Well, maybe that's just metaphorical and speaking about the, the region is, is the argument that would, would be given. But that doesn't work when you go to another passage that speaks of the same event. In 1 Nephi 19, 10 through 11, skipping a little ahead in 10, because they're long verses in the Book of Mormon, it says, Buried in a sepulcher, according to the words of Zenos, which he spake concerning the three days of darkness. So it's talking about Jesus being buried. Um, concerning the three days of darkness, which should be a sign given of his death unto those should who should inhabit the isles of the sea, more especially given unto those who are of the house of Israel. Now, is that just talking about the New Testament house of Israel? No, because if you keep reading, it says, For thus spake the prophet, the Lord God surely shall visit all the house of Israel on that at that day, some with his voice because of their righteousness under their great joy and salvation, and others with the thunderings and the lightnings of his power by tempest, by fire, by smoke, and vapor of darkness, and by the opening of the earth and by mountains which shall be carried up. So these two verses are all talking about the same thing. And it's saying that the th for three days there will be darkness and it would cover all the house of Israel. So that's old world and new world. And of course, that does not match with, with what we know actually happened in, in Matthew 27, 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. So the question is, you know, should we, if that's the case, should we, should we listen to Joseph Smith as a prophet? I mean, he, the book of, again, we're, we're kind of talking about the book of Mormon, but you could, you could apply this to any number of his prophecies there there's it's not hard to find lists of of false prophecies that that he made that never came true so he he fails the deuteronomy 18 test that way um but right there within the book of mormon there are prophecies of the that there were going to be three days of darkness but it was only three hours so um The fact is, um, not only it, it, so it doesn't meet minimum tests when it comes to scripture. It doesn't have the character that we find in scripture. It changes, you know, scripture doesn't change. And the, the prophets that brought scripture, they don't give false prophecies and they don't teach things or cause people to go after other gods. They, they teach the same God from beginning to the end. Um, so with that, I, I want to go ahead and kind of open things up. Um, we're to questions. Uh, I do that this every show kind of a little bit shorter show tonight cause I'm going off of different type of notes than I usually do. And, um, so I'm going to go ahead and take a look and see if we have, uh, any questions if you if you haven't typed them in yet go ahead and start doing that now and i know it takes a minute for everything to uh update when i say something <laughs> uh, all right so just kind of looking over the chat here 
Uh, Dustin Lee, I see you saying Catholics and Orthodox consider many of the writings of that period scripture. I, I assume you're speaking of the Second Temple period. And, and I realize that there are people who think that about those books. Um, but again, there if we if we were to look at them on the same, you know, with the same sort of uh, eyes as we look at the others, the, the Jews of the time didn't didn't consider those things scripture. Uh, they were not, you know, at least the ones in Jerusalem. Um, Jesus never cites any of those other books as scripture. Um, so, you know, I don't consider them scripture for, for those reasons. Um, I realize, you know, some people do, but uh, I just don't see that they they have that sort of uh, that sort of uh, pedigree, you know, as uh, as things like like Deuteronomy and, and that kind of stuff. All right, so I don't see any questions coming in. Um, by all means, if you know anything, I, I haven't really talked about Mormonism very much on this channel, um, on but it is something that I, I studied a lot quite a while ago um, and uh, kind of led me into doing apologetics and, and all of that. But um, let's see. Okay, so I don't see any coming in. I'm just going to kind of fill you guys in on a, a couple things that uh, are kind of uh, going on. And hopefully, you know, if anything comes in great, otherwise we'll go ahead and, and knock off a little early tonight. So in, in case you didn't know, I, I do have in, and there's links all over the description and everything. Um, I'm pretty active on social media. I have a parlor account, uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, you know, some of those places I just do like a, a, you know, kind of do announcements for things, but, but definitely if, uh, if you're on those, those platforms and, and you want to reach out, uh, I'm happy to, to talk sometimes, you know, through the website, you know, things will come in and, and, and won't always uh, uh, won't always uh, get to me as quickly as as some of the the other platforms. I I do generally get to everything, but sometimes some ways are faster than others. Um. All right, so uh, cool. I guess no questions about that tonight. I hope this has been helpful for you. Uh, going over stuff with uh, the Book of Mormon and. Yeah, let me know if there's if there's other stuff that you want me to talk about. I know we did that survey a little while ago, so I'm that's still in my mind, and, and we're still going to look at that. And I'm also going to look into um, some. I've got some plans for some interviews I need to uh, to try to get set up. So look for that in the near future. And other than that, it's been awesome tonight. Thanks so much for coming, and I look forward to seeing you all next week. And God bless till then. Thank you for listening to the Beginning of Wisdom podcast. You can follow Andrew Schumacher and the ministry at beginningwisdom.org, where you can find links to the YouTube channel and follow on social media. Sign up for email alerts to never miss new content. 
Please like, share, and rate the episode if it has blessed you. God bless and always be ready.